Well, today I have a message I like to preach, teach, however we may end up. Um, and we'll be returning to Romans chapter 12. We'll be in the chapter of one of my very favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 12 and 1 through 2. But we will not be doing that today. We're going to be reading in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. To skip on down to verse 13, it says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Verse 16, Be of the same mind one toward another, Mime not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits, dropping down to verse 21. And be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen, amen, amen. I want to, if God will help us today, I want to preach to us today. Holiness has a name. Holiness has a name. Amen. Let's lay our Bibles down. Let's ask God to minister to our hearts and our minds today. We love you, Jesus. I love you, Master. God, I thank you for your house of worship. God, I thank you for the word. Change me, God. Make me more like you, God. We ask you, God, to fill this house with your presence. God, walk with us, each and every one. Let us all be changed by the power of your word, and not by my words, but God, your word today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Master. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated this morning. The background of Romans, we find the writer to be the Apostle Paul. Just a few nuggets of it. It wasn't a letter written to just one body of a congregation, um, but it was written to the Romans, and it was written to those who were worshiping in Rome. And most likely it was written on his third missionary journey as he was going to Jerusalem from Corinth. And when we look at Romans, it's a very uh, prolific book. It's one that you must, uh, you're not going to read it like you would, the Reader's Digest condensed version. But Romans requires the reader to step into it bit by bit and begin to read through and partake of the Word of God because of the richness of it. It, it reminds me of, of some of the cooking I have experienced where you take a bite and it's good, but then you keep biting, you gotta, you got to choke back a little bit. So this is really, really rich. The Word of God is like that. There are some passages that read as a poetic format, but then there are some you just need to step back and chew on it a little bit and think about it and begin to mull it over and let it impact you as you go about your day or even your week or months to come, and you will find as you begin to do this and take this approach, the Word of God will speak to you in places that you did not expect it to. It will allow you to feel the presence of God about passages of Scripture that are much like Kansas or Missouri or you may say of uh, maybe of um, uh, Nebraska, the flyover state. You can get in a habit, oh, I know this, I memorized that verse, and you blow right past a passage of scripture. But what we find here is the instruction for us to overcome evil with good. 
Now, we're going to talk a little bit about holiness this morning, and I hopefully you'll give me the latitude of which to present it today. We sometimes get so wrapped up in the topic of holiness, it's on the outward appearance. We're going to talk about the inward man, the inward person of holiness. And holiness as defined is we are to be devoted in brotherly love. Holiness stated in Webster's Dictionary, the state of being holy, purity, or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctified. When you apply that to God, it means holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. We know that we are not that definition, but we strive to be like him. That's our objective. On earth, I long to be like him. When we apply holiness to the human being side of it, it is the purity of heart or dispositions, sanctified affections, touched by God, it means, and piety or moral goodness, but not perfect. None of us are perfect. Somebody say, I'm not perfect this morning. Amen. I'll be the first to say, That I am not perfect in the house of God today. I can line up six other witnesses. And if I was to add the dog of the house in there, there would be seven witnesses today that would say, Brother Goff is far from perfect. But God gives us grace. He allows us to feel his presence and remind us, just keep moving forward. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. If I could put it in my language, if I could apply it, in how I see. This is totally my opinion, but if you could put it this way, it says, without hypocrisy, love everybody, and by doing so, you will bind yourself with goodness. Now, a person cannot put on enough holy to cover up issues of the heart. You cannot put on holy. You have to become holy. You cannot sit there and go through your closet and say, today is my holy day. And you pull out your holy robe and you put it on what you think is your holy body. And you know what? You're going to walk down the streets and people are going to say, holy smokes. Vain holy. God is the only thing that can make us holy. But on the flip side of that, one cannot do so much good on their own that Jesus Christ is not needed. You know what you get by doing good? You're just good. When you do good, you're just a do-gooder. That doesn't make you holy. Just because you will get down in the dirt and you'll feed someone food off of your plate does not make you holy. You just did good. Just because you'll give the shoes off of your feet and a $20 bill and put it on YouTube so you get glory from it and get all these thousands of hits... Hey, you've done a good thing. That did not make you holy. You just did good. God gave us the path to be holy. The spirit of holiness is really about what we do as Christians to serve one another. And now you may say, your next question may be, how do I serve others? We must ensure that the love or charity motivates us as a person because if you are doing it for your own good you're doing it for your own pride you've got in the way 
of God trying to do a work in somebody's life. Now you have lifted up your own self. And you're on this quest to do good. Now there is absolutely nothing, nothing wrong if with the right motives you do good. We should do good. But the motive should not be that it makes me holy. Our motivation should be that we love everybody. Love is the motivator. It is something that when you put it in the context of doing something good towards somebody, love does one of two things. It focuses either on yourself or it focuses on serving others. Because it's easy for you to say, I love doing this. It motivates me. It helps me to do something. But if you're doing it for your own gratification, you're loving yourself. But if you do it for others, that is love. That is the true definition of love. Now we can read in scripture and we can find God gave the the words and penned and written down for us to reference today. And we can read the words that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He wasn't talking about having just the right appearance. When Jesus taught holiness, he lived holiness. He presented holiness. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was holy because he is holy. So for us to say, I'm a Christian, and we throw placards on the back of our cars, we put things on our house, we'll put things on our garments to broadcast, I am a Christian. You have just now set a high expectation for everybody around you to be holy. That means you're going to do the right thing. Sometimes people put that on themselves. And I can tell you of a man who did that. Put the clerical collar around his neck. Get up in the pulpit. Open the Bible and say, I'm here to tell you. What the Bible says about hell is not real. There is no hell. He was putting the focus on himself. Instead of the authority of the word of God that says there is a place. People sometimes think themselves holy. I can get up and proclaim things that contradict the word of God because I'm holy. It's a self-awarded status of holiness. Holiness is maintained like a relationship. Unholy is commonly viewed as unclean, lacking elements that are pleasing to God. To not be holy is to not love your neighbor. Now, I have, we have some new neighbors that have recently moved in uh, over the last year or so. And those of you who know me, I know I'm a little mischievous and like a good laugh. And so this summer they had got their patio all cleaned up and they got the, the chairs out there, and they got the light bulbs hanging from stringers across and made their patio a place to hang out. People started showing up of different ages and groups, and I, they, a couple of times they got a little rowdy. And 
And so I didn't say anything. We have a police officer that lives across the street from us, and we would talk, and we just let them slide. They're having a good time. They're not disrupting us too much. And then we were out there and began to smell an aroma of something. I'm like, hmm, I don't smell like a fireplace. Or you got some bad wood, wherever you got that from. So yesterday, they had been out there doing their thing, and, and so I went in there and renamed one of our Wi-Fi networks. It says, I smell your weed. So you're supposed to love your neighbor. I didn't call the cops on them. They'd probably just get in a bunch of trouble. Life will catch up with them eventually. Life will catch them eventually. It wasn't my job to jump over the fence, confiscate it, hold them down, tell Sister Goff to call the police and have London threaten them with an inch of their life because they had a joint in their hand. Not my job. Because we are to love our neighbor. That doesn't mean we turn a blind eye. That means that we treat them fairly. That means that we do the right thing. That means that we love them unconditionally because somebody loved us unconditionally. That doesn't mean there's a, any problem with naming a Wi-Fi guest network, I smell your weed. There's nothing wrong with that. They'll probably get a joke out of it and chuckle. Maybe my neighbors will say somebody's on to them finally. But we are to love one another. We are to recognize the needs of others. And we talked about it Tuesday night. We talked about putting on the weaker vessels, those that are more susceptible to things in life, Hold them close and put them inside the body. When we recognize the needs of others, what do we do? We give them honor. We don't push them down and say you're not good enough. You need to do this, this, and this to be pleasing in my eye. In order for you to be called a saint of this church, you have to meet this standard. That's not our job. It's God's job. He's the one who judges. He's the one who says you're doing right. Well, you're doing wrong. He's the one that provides the comforter. He's the one who provides the word of God. He's the one who judges. Consideration is given in love. There's nothing wrong with having a misunderstanding with one another. It happens. Communication issues. Someone may interpret something that someone else said, and the next thing you know, well, did they mean this? Did they really say that about me? But when you step back and get the context, you're like, okay, we just had a miscommunication. It's fixed. Everything's okay. And the body plugs along and does okay. Now, there's a path for us to obtain holiness as a Christian. And as the title of my message today is Holiness Has a Name, we're going to talk about that in looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. If you would, I'll be reading through several verses of Scripture here. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I'm reading in the ESV version for the you, of those of you that are following along. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is the light of the gospel. This is the path to putting on Christ. This is to putting on holiness that's inside of each and every one of us that we all want to obtain. We all, all of us want to please God. But the words that he says, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. That is so speaking the truth that every man's conscience shall approve of it as true. Every man shall see to it to be true. It's to be in accordance to what they know as to be right. If I could break it down this way, Paul sought such a life as to appeal to their sense of right that it would compel them to the gospel. When you preach a message of your life, your testimony, when you're presenting your life and the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, it has to be in such a way that people around you realize, I may not like it, but it is right. Because it's founded on the word of God. The gospel can be preached to appeal to the right in someone However, there, are, there has to be the element that is backed up by the living it that proves it to be right. That's why we have words in scriptures talking about people having double-mindedness or not talking out of both sides of their mouth, not having, and we'll get into some of those scriptures that we'll talk about. There's a standard of much of which we must live to be holy. It doesn't mean we have a church person and we have a work person and a family person. We apply all these personalities to us, and that makes us. We are to be like him, consistent. We are to be the same life every day, day in and day out. If you abide by this formula, it will dispel the people that say you're holier than thou. Because they'll see you go to work and see you put on this mask. And then they'll see you out with your family, and they're like, I didn't know that they went to church. Now, that doesn't mean you have to shove the gospel down someone's throat, but it does mean you have to be a Christian at all times. It does mean that you should obtain towards that goal and say, I must put on Christ. And we cannot fool ourselves to think that because I have this right, I'm holy. Because there are probably people that can give testimony and reviews of people that have went in and rehabbed a home and put fresh paint on it, put a new roof or a couple of shingles here and there, mowed the grass and thrown out some mulch and sold a house and made it look like it was a mansion. But a year later, this broke, this broke, these bugs, this is sagging, this is leaking, this is what's wrong. You are the very same way as Christians. We cannot present ourselves as holy and not be holy on the inside. Holiness on the outside is a reflection of holiness from the inside. Don't think you can put on holy. Holy is not something you can walk up to and say, oh, this is my favorite. Or this is what I, this is Monday. I used to work with a guy Still do, and we shifted around different departments. But Monday, he had this pant and this shirt. Tuesday, and he had them all lined up in his closet. And he wore the same outfit every Monday. And so, I didn't care. 
And sometimes I would come in wearing, say, blue dress pants and a white shirt. He was like, why are you wearing Monday's outfit on Thursday? It's like, man, I really don't care. It's so early in the morning, I just grab clothes that are iron, I put them on, and if I just so happen to sync up with you, so be it. He would get something on his shirt at lunch. He's like, now i got to take it to the dry cleaners, and I'm not going to get it back in time to wear on Monday. Some people just feel like they need to put on holy the same way. Oh, I'm going to go be with family, and they have to put on that. Y'all need any prayer? Any prayer requests from the family? I'm here, but then you go, and you're running some old high school friends, college friends, people from work, and it's, you put on something different. And you feel like you can live that life. But you know what it does? It wears on you. It wears you out. Because you cannot be real. You cannot be you. Paul says, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. In verse 3, I like this because I've read this many, many times. Heard it preached. Not saying I have a new revelation. So just, just, just throw that out of your mind. But in verse 3 it says, And even if our gospel be veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose gospel? Paul says, our gospel. So what gospel do you preach? Do you preach Christ? Or do you preach your own gospel? That says, this is okay, this is okay, I can live like this, this is my way of doing things, this is how I had someone explain it to me, I liked it, and I applied it, and it feels good to me. And if you go down the path of saying, I can create the image of a Christian, you have then applied your own gospel. You have not presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our gospel be veiled, it is then veiled to those who are perishing. I would not want to stand on the day of judgment, stand before and say, so what did you preach? I can't get up and say, well, I thought it was okay. I preached this because that's what everybody else was preaching. I preached this is because that's what I'd always heard. But if you cannot get up and say, I'm preaching Christ. Label me a Christian or whatever it may be, but I refuse to preach anything other than Christ. Because salvation is only found through Christ. I can't save anybody. It's your obedience that takes you to a baptismal tank. And the man of God says the, what we've been commanded to say in the name of Jesus. But then it's your obedience, your walking, your application of laying down your old man and picking up Christ and saying, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. No one said, even Jesus talked about John's baptism. Everybody that was baptized and wanted to be baptized again, was, it was a precursor to baptism. It was getting them with a frame of mind, there is a Messiah coming. And when Jesus came, Jesus says, you must be baptized, not in John's, but in my name. Jesus preached Christ. We must do the very same thing. We have to be careful of the gospel that we do preach. Because if Christ is not that message, you'll have a preacher get up and say, there's no hell. I listened to one last night say, everybody can come in 
to heaven. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to believe everything in the word of God. You just will get there. If our gospel is not Christ, and we don't preach it, we don't live it, we're just putting on the holier than thou. Christ was that gospel that was hidden not in a cloud of mystery that would be hidden to today, but it was revealed to the masses when it was right, when it was the right time. In verse 4 it says, And in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to them that blinded to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That we proclaim for what we proclaim is not ourselves. So Paul just go ahead and confirms everything that I've just said. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I won't keep reading too far into it, but one more verse of scripture in there. Verse 7 says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. There's nothing about being a Christian that says I need to impose my beliefs on somebody else. There is nothing in the Bible that says, make up what you think is right, but let the man of God preach Christ, is what it says. And the man of God should have the latitude to get up and say some things that make you feel a little uncomfortable. Because if he's in the word of God, he's preaching Christ. But if he's prefaces it and says, I think, I feel, you need to change your life because of what I feel. This isn't... Exactly stated in the word of God, but now there are times when a pastor will get up and preach a conviction. Maybe God has laid something, but it should never contradict the word of God. It should be a principle that's applied in the word of God. You can go out and bishops alluded to it several times of the things that he's heard in Africa, but you would not believe the things that's being taught in the churches that you drove past today that contradict the word of God. That entrench people in tradition just because that's what I've always heard. But we have this vessel that we should present God out of. That it may be the power of God and not us. The tendency of man is to, if left to himself, is to plunge into a deeper darkness. And to involve his mind more entirely in the obscurity of the moral midnight that possesses his heart. If someone doesn't have God in their life, the expectation is they go down a path that's dark and lonely. And all it takes is a flicker of truth and it will get their attention. They'll say, I'm living in darkness. I see something that's a little bit different. Something is appealing me, beckoning me to come on. And if those of you have been to one of the caves and Branson has one and national parks have them and Typically what happens is they go down to the bottom of this cave, turn out the lights, and the ranger begins to talk to you and tell you about how dark it is, and there is no light, and then they'll turn on a little flashlight, and it seems like the sun. What happens is when you are in that darkness, your mind knows what your hand looks like. And that ranger will say, all right, everybody, see if you can see something. Put your hand 
in front of your face. And your mind will begin to trick you. Oh, yeah, I can see the outline of my hand. I, I can see. I, I got it. I, I can see it. Nobody else can. But you truly can't. It's your mind that is thought. I can close my hand and my eyes and I can visualize my hand. And people that are errant in doctrine, they say, well, I, I see the light. But until they experience the true light of the gospel, it's just something that they have convinced themselves, I'm okay with God. The light of the gospel is to be that revealing light that shows them. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. People get so wrapped up in what makes them feel comfortable that they think, I'm okay. But yet they have not maintained the inward holiness like a relationship and went back and asked God, what do you think? It's all predicated on, I feel, I think, it looks good to me, sounds good, it doesn't contradict what my closest friends are saying, but does it contradict the word of God? That's what really matters. Because I'll tell you, I'll give you a little, little uh, tip here. On the day of judgment, whatever day that's presented on your life, how that's presented, the time at the end, at 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, whatever your life ends at, the people that you said, they said it was okay, at one point in time will be in the line right behind you, being judged by the word of God, not... Jesus saying, what did your friend say about this? Okay, you're good. Come on in. He's going to look down and say, the word of God was preached to you. Thus says the word of God. They didn't create darkness. They didn't create light. They didn't do anything to speak this world into existence. They don't control time. All they do is control your emotional connection to tradition. They're doing it, I must do it as well. But God has called us to be holy. I believe in Colossians, this passage gives us the very essence of holiness. In Colossians chapter 3, you know, before I get there, I, I want to I turn somewhere. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, it's easy for preachers to get up in a pulpit and say, you need to, you need to, you need to. You won't be saved unless you do this, this, and this, and this. We find a letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read a bunch of it. This is a true saying. If a man desire in the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. That's a pretty high standard. The husband of one wife, diligent, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or fil a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. We're talking about the qualifications of a bishop. All right. What does it require for a deacon? Verse 8, likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued? We're talking about you speak what you would say all the time instead of, in one place, one thing, and around your friends and family, another thing. Not given to much wine, not greedy, a filthy lucre. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these be also be 
approved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Talks about your children. Goes on in the list. If you think a preacher is easy to get up and say, you must abide by, there's also verses of Scripture that says, you must do also. You must do also. And it's even a higher standard. It's even one that you cannot do this. This spells out specifically, talks about your children, your wife, and the husbands to do and abide by this thing. You think, why? Why? Why, Brother God? Why would God put that in there? He answers that question if you go on down the verse of Scripture. Paul says in verse 15, we'll go back to 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he's saying, Paul, I hope to see you. Paul's saying, I hope to see you, Timothy, in a short amount of days. But I'm sending you this letter. And if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He's telling Timothy, I know you're young. He already told him earlier, don't let no man despise your youth. Remember when we laid hands on you and anointed you and ordained you. Remember all the trips that you've been on. I've sent you thrice to go out and be my representative to churches. But don't forget, this is what you must abide by. This is how. And he says, the reason you do it, so you know how to behave in church. But the way it's applied in the preceding scriptures, it's not only within the four walls of church. It's at all times. Blameless at all times. You know why? It goes on to say, let me find it real quick. In verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good rapport of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He's saying, listen, to be a bishop, to be called of God, to live this standard, you have to have a good rapport with people just besides the church people. You have to be a preacher in the midst of this lost and dying world. You have to walk through a world of sin and live this life so people can walk up to you and say, just where do you go to church? What do you do? You can't be a sinner on the street and you get into a situation where they say, I see you go to church or do you, you go to church with your family? Yes, I do. Where do you go? And then them walk in and see you behind the pulpit and see two different people from when they met you and then from when the expectation they have behind the pulpit. You have to be holy as he is holy. Now we won't stop in verse 15. All of this is to protect what it says in verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. You want to be a soul winner, preach Christ. He that win his souls is wise. He lives in wisdom as the word of God tells him to live. He doesn't try to preach his own gospel. She doesn't try to create her own following. We all follow Christ. Now let's go to Colossians chapter 3. If you think the ministry is exempt, I prove that it's not. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, And put on then, talk about putting on the new self, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Just verse 1 of this, of cha- uh, verse 12 of this, is a heavy task. Just verse 1. Bearing with one another, in verse 13, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. It doesn't give you a choice. When you have a problem with somebody, you forgive. There is no alternate choice. This is what he's saying to put on the new self. That's to have Christ applied in your life. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That sounds pretty clear cut. That sounds like it's no options. Because he says, must forgive. Now, there is a choice that you can make. You can not forgive and walk in unforgiveness. And then there's various scriptures that start talking about bitterness, hate, discomfort among the brethren. And you go on down the list of things that is contrary to this if you don't forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow. That means I don't have to worry about what I portray to everybody if I put on love. That means I don't have to get up and go to Holy Joe's closet and figure out what I need to be to the people around me in this day. I just have to put on Christ. And if I put it on, he says that everything binds together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. But he doesn't stop there. And be thankful for it. There's, I've said this before, when Sister Golf and I first got married, she had some things that were from uh, Mary Engelbright. And I remember this one saying, she had a little calendar. It said, bloom where you're planted. The word of God is saying, you are called to be in one body and be thankful. He's saying, when all you care about is preaching Christ to others, you could care less about what everybody else thinks about you and what you're doing because you are representing Christ. You are in the place you need to be. You will no longer be in the picture it says, pick out what's different about this picture that should not be there. That's the problem with people that church hop. They hop for their emotions and their feelings. Instead of falling into place in the body and say, I'm home. When people get so wrapped up in, they said, she said. And when you go down, you're trying to find something that meets your expectation of the body. But let me tell you, there's no better place when you walk in the doors and you say, this is home. It's not because they love me. It's because that's where God has told me to be. This is the body of Christ, and I'm going to be thankful for it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This isn't Acts where they went and sold everything. What are they doing? Who do they think they are? They're just being the body of Christ. Those are the characteristics of the body of Christ. Like I said, this is the very essence of holiness. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That tells us when you want to be in the part of the bride of Christ, do it through his name. Preach his name. Live his name. Not somebody else's. It's not, it's not the expectations of everybody else around you. You're living Christ. You're being holy because you put on Christ. First Peter talks about being called to be holy. First Peter chapter 1. says, therefore preparing your minds. In verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's nailing it right on the head. He's saying, listen, it's not. It's not about your feelings and your thoughts. The best place for a Christian, and I wish, I wish there was a way. I wish there was a way that I could show you how far God has brought me. I wish there was a way that I could visually show you just how much change he's had to do in my heart to where it feels comfortable being able to preach this message and say, God, change me. Instead of being able to push back and say, that, that don't sound right. That's that's. That's not, that's, that doesn't sound like what I've heard my whole life. I've been in this apostolic faith my entire life, but I have not always had the mindset of Christ. It's taken me years and years for me to wipe away everything that influenced my life from a young man, even in my 20s and my 30s, to be able to say, it's not how everybody likes to describe it. Life can be different. It can follow in the footprints of Jesus Christ. It's through the revelation of Jesus Christ that lives change. It's not that he's a good person. People will go to um, monuments and they'll go to um, mausoleums and they'll go to graves and they'll go to museums that represent the bodies of work of people. And they'll stand there in awe and they'll say, look at all the things they did. But it doesn't always show all the things that had to change in their life. How they had to fail so many times. How they had to get past themselves to make a difference. So many times tradition says, you just have to be like everybody else around you. You just have to meet their mold. But no, there's a standard to be holy. You have to abide by the standard of holiness. For as he has called you as holy, you also be holy in. I'm reading an ESV. It says all your conduct. That's holiness. Now, what is conduct? Conduct does not have a designer label and a size and a color and a pattern and tradition that says you wear this with this. 
conduct is something you do, not something you put on. Now, I'm not discrediting the outward appearance of holiness. What I'm trying to talk to us today about, we get so caught up, but that's all it is. But you can have the outward appearance and be a cesspool of sin on the inside. And be able to put up the very appearance of a faithful saint of God. You know why? I've done it. I've lived that life. I've done what I'm saying this morning. But when you pursue after him in holiness of heart and of deed and of conduct and everything inside of you, the outward appearance, you forget about You say, God, change this old boy. You drag that heart through the mud and you say, God, wash me and make me clean. Every thought, everything that's been a part of my life that's tried to destroy me, every intention that I thought, that I thought I knew what was best for my life and my family, God, you know what's best for me. And he changes you. And he makes a difference. Since it is written, you shall be holy for... I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. If you want to be holy and you want people to respect you as being a Christian and you get tired of people not uh, giving you credit for all the years you put in and all the churches you've been a part of and everything you've done, be holy and you'll forget about it. You focus on him instead of your resume as a Christian. You say it's all for his glory. However I'm used, it's all for his glory. I'm just trying to put on Christ. I could care less what everybody else thinks about me. I must put on the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It says, that of the lamb without blemish or spot. Our only hope for holiness is to live as he has instructed us to live and his example. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere Brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You cannot fulfill verse 22 if it's all about you. You cannot feel, fulfill that verse of scripture if it's about your gospel, your ideas, your way of doing things. And nobody else can do what you're doing. And you can't fulfill the word of God. He says, but love them with a brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart now he's not talking to sinners you know why verse 23 since you have been born again settles it saints today we have a high standard but we have a savior that loves us that equips us that gives us the ability to reach our goal life with Christ is not one that we never attain he molds us and makes us and shapes us in his image so that we can become like him not living failures coming in and sitting on the pew we are successful only through Christ 
If you're tired of repenting of sins that you keep on sinning on, what's on the heart? Are you focused on the outside or the inside? If you're tired of coming to church and not being used, what's your goal and aspirations? Are they overshadowing the basics of being a Christian? Brotherly love. If you're tired of going to church with the people you're around, you know what that means? You're tired of Christ. Because the church should embody Christ. It should embody everything that's a part of us that says, listen, I must put on Christ. I must glorify him. I must live to serve. That's what it's all about. We have all been called to be servants in the kingdom of God. Every one of us. No one is exempt from being the servant. Why? Because Christ was our example, right? What did he do? He served. He walked on earth to serve. When he served, he gave up everything of himself to serve. The greatest, the greatest is to be called a faithful saint of God because you served. Not yourself and your own deeds and what you want, but it's because you stripped all of yourself away and you say, I can't be selfish anymore. It's not about me. It's not about my 401k, my investment account. It's not about my checking account, my savings account, the value of my house, the value of my cars, how how much my clothes cost, how everybody perceives me. It's about him. Everything is in him. I can't love my brother if I have the love of money. Because there'll be times that God will say, give, and you'll say, no, I'm going to lose X amount of percent. That's going to drop me below my goal. What if your goal was God's goal? What if your goal was you walk up and you give? And I, I mentioned this a long time ago, and I don't like to talk of examples, but I didn't have it in my notes, but God placed this on my heart. It, it just This will show you just how far God has taken me. I was traveling for work one day, and I was down in um, Pearl. It was, it was uh, Jackson, Mississippi. It was when Pearl and Jackson, Mississippi... Traveling with a large group of uh, co-workers. And we happened to go into a restaurant. The restaurant was called, if I remember correctly, I think it was called Rudy's. And we go in and everybody was making fun of the restaurant because um, they were playing Christian music. And this place is known for that. But they have great, great food. We're going there for lunch. So we had about 15 or 20 of us. We all line up at these big tables And everybody up on the, they had some screens around where they were playing some TV preachers and they had the Christian music playing and all the people that I work with were, some of them I'd known for a long time, some of them I hadn't, they're all making jokes and pointing it out. And it's pretty intimidating. You're in a place that you're like, finally, I can go to an establishment, eat my lunch, but yet the devil makes sure that he puts opposition that you're in the smack dab in the middle of it. And I was sitting there eating my lunch, and our waitress, you could tell something was emotionally upsetting her, and she was, there was something wrong. And so I sat there, and they had went up to get, it was like a buffet-type restaurant, and they went up to get their food, and I'm sitting there, and I just kind of closed my eyes and just kind of sit there for a moment. I was like, man, I don't, God, I don't know what's wrong, but something's upsetting this waitress. And so... Um, I get up, and the meal had wrapped up, and... And I just kind of push 
typical us. When we're focused on us, right? We push those feelings aside. She gave us her ticket. And I walk up, and there's a long line of us. And I'm sitting there in the line filled with all the coworkers, and I couldn't find her. I made up my mind. I said, I'm going to do something to make a difference. And one of her coworkers walked by, and I said, hey, where is our waitress? Well, she went on our break. Do you want to talk to her? I said, yes, I do. And I'm standing there in line, and everybody looks at me. And I was like, I'm doing it. She come in, and I said, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on, why something has upset you. But I said, I felt like God's told me to give this to you. And I handed her some money. And she bust out crying. She goes, you do not know. My husband has not been able to do his job. I have been coming in and I'm X amount months pregnant. I'm sicker than a dog and I'm having to force myself to get up and come into work. And I can't. It's just seeming like it's taxing me, and I just had to go to the doctor's office, and I have all this medicine, and you don't know. And she reached over, and she gave me a hug. And I walked out the door and said, all right, God, I did what you said you wanted me to do. But it wasn't enough. So I called Sister Goff, and I said, honey, I don't know. Some of you may have heard this story, but I said, something else, we're not done. God is not letting this burden lift off of me. We're not done. And I said, I'm heading back. Would you call the restaurant and get that waitress's name and her phone number and you make contact with her? She said, sure. So she calls her, talks to her, and texts me and says, you won't believe it, call me back. So I call her back once I get back to the office and she says... Her husband is an apostolic evangelist. She's an apostolic. And they are newlyweds, and they're going through this, this, and this. And you, by just a little bit of money, changed their destiny on some things. They were, didn't know what to do. We became acquaintances and talked to them on a regular basis. And then there was a day he called and said, listen, I'm coming through Kansas City can we stop and see you guys? Absolutely. We meet at a restaurant, talk to them. And they end up going up and pastoring a church up in Iowa. And all of that relationship was because nothing great that I did. I just broke out of my stubborn, selfish mold and tried to love my brother as he had commanded me to love them. And we have a relationship with them and their children Because God spoke to the body. It would be easy for someone to say, that's my traveling cash. Now I have nothing to fall back on. It it wasn't about that. That didn't matter. It was about feeling out the needs of the body. Can we stand today? In closing... A Christian is to love everybody as Christ loves the church. No Christian is given license to pick and choose who they get to love. It's not about you and who you think you should love. It's love your brother, your sister, people young, 
and old. The word of God in his commandment says, love everybody. Our love should not be predicated on laws of our country that says you cannot discriminate against them because of their, their sex, their religious background, their ethnicity. Their... That is not what governs us, church people. It's the word of God that governs us. They just so happen to align with some of our core beliefs as a Christian. Everybody needs the love of Christ. By having the love of Christ in your heart, you have put on Christ. It is cloaking you in righteousness. And when others feel the love of Christ coming from you, that is holiness. If you judge your holiness by your closet, you have missed the mark. If you judge your holiness by your style, your fad, your perception of others, you have missed the mark. Because God wants us to be holy because He is holy. He didn't give us His robe measurements. He just lived holy. He didn't tell us what sandals He wore. He just lived holy. He didn't pin one word of this. He lived it in such a way that men followed after Him and they wrote about holiness. Inspired by the word of God, inspired by the spirit of God. We have a book of holy, the holy Bible, because he was holy. He was willing when he could have had it all promised by the devil. Satan himself says, I'll give you everything. He says, no, I've got a mission. I have to be holy. I have to give an example. I have to make it to where others can do what I'm doing. I have to give a comforter. There's a mission that I have. I have to be holy so they can be holy. Let's lift our hands and talk to him this morning. We love you, Jesus.